Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. You know, I should have called it. I really should have with the opening of the session here in Indiana, the General Assembly. I should have called the thing. I should have known that the Democratic Party was going to say something so absolutely ridiculous. I shouldn't be surprised anymore. There's nothing left to shock from this super minority. No wonder they're the super minority. No wonder they can't win statewide. No wonder they can't bring anybody to the table. No wonder they have to help in the leaking of the military records of Jennifer uh, Ruth Green in order to win in the Indiana 1st District. Oh, by the way, I believe they did it. And I don't even think they would have helped them. They probably would have won that race anyway because it's the 1st District, but they did it. And I want to know why Representative Mervan hasn't been investigated yet. I would really like to know why it is that the uh, entirety of the Indiana media doesn't give a damn about this story. But, you know, I'll, I'll live to fight another day on that one. It's just Indiana media deserves the derision they get. They, they really seem to, to care about truth and honesty when they don't cover the stories at all. Only us. If it wasn't for talk radio. Whether it be in Indianapolis, whether it be in South Bend, Fort Wayne, where, by the way, my shows are heard everywhere. Uh, it, good Lord. How would you know what's going on around here? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. I'm not saying you agree with what I say with. I am saying that we at least discuss the stories. Indiana media, certainly Indianapolis media, absolutely not. Cowardly bunch. And if they don't, if, if they've got a problem with it, wait till I tell them nose to nose. But no, this was the Indiana Democratic Party, the opening of the session, and and they have a new spokesperson, uh, their 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 old spokes guy, uh, the the uh, Baghdad Bob of of the Indiana Democrats. I, I guess he's going on to something else. People leave jobs. It's it's standard. It's rational, and I, I would wish him all the best. But he's just been so incredibly nasty for so long. I mean, what's the? I mean, I guess I'm still going to wish him all the best. That's who I am. He doesn't, his attitude doesn't change who I am. But I mean, nasty, nasty dude. Nasty. No need for it. Just was. It wasn't about disagreement. He just liked being nasty. So, you know, uh, I won't miss him. So now they've got a new Baghdad bomb. And here, and here is how, and I wouldn't have said that at first, but this is the email that comes out. The 2023 session. Culture wars, special interests on the docket, not fixing Indiana's most pressing issues. Culture wars. They're still having this conversation. It was dopey when they said it the first time. It didn't help them in a single bit of of, of elections, and it's dopey now, and they're still doing it. But what do you expect? This is why they lose races. This is they're so out of touch with Hoosiers, it's to be believed. And they write, the Indiana Democratic Party, the organization that advocates for the future of Indiana and its families. Oh, sure. Yeah, of course they do. No doubt. Today criticized the Republican supermajority at the state house for presenting an agenda that favors special interests and culture wars instead of solving the top issues facing families across the state. And their issues. There are issues facing families across the state. This property tax thing is going to be a huge one, guys. And, of course, there's this whole thing going on with the legalization of cannabis. All right, that's not a pressing issue, but I spoke with Representative Jake Teshka about it. You'll, I'll have that for you coming up in just a bit. But here's where it gets amazing. First, what's wrong with a culture war? What's wrong with a culture war? You mean like when parents want to take part in their kids' education and you're like, how dare you? That's a, that's a war worth fighting. You want to fight? Let's fight. 
That's a war worth fighting. It's worth voting you out of office. It's worth marginalizing you and marginalizing you. It's worth it. It's our kids. Parents need to be the ones in charge. At least of deciding where the money goes and saying, hey, stop teaching this radical woke ideology to our children. We'll get into that another time. But it's this they, they write. Republican officials have introduced extreme measures like so-called don't say gay legislation and have hedged their support for providing full investments in the state's health care system. Um, two things, if, if I may. First, all Holcomb is talking about is health care. That's all the governor is talking about. Don't say gay legislation was a conversation about Florida's parental bill of rights. And it never said don't say gay. So when it's so-called don't say gay, that's all a lie. Your attack on culture wars is to engage a culture war that never took place in Indiana, had nothing to do with Indiana Republicans. But you bring it up anyway and you claim that the Republicans are guilty of culture wars? Only proving how much you hate the parents of Indiana. You hate Hoosier parents. No wonder you're the supermajority. My gosh. I mean, you couldn't go more pathetic than this, could you? Well, we'll wait for tomorrow's email. What's going on with cannabis? A rally at the State House. We speak to Representative Jake Teshka coming up. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. question before us in the state of Indiana is, do we want to legalize marijuana? Tony Katz, good to be with you. The conversation gets more interesting because, of course, we are surrounded by states that have done exactly that, legalized marijuana. Now, there's an argument to be made that this is the way we're all going. The nation has come to accept this. Why aren't we taking advantage of it? The other argument, as Governor Eric Holcomb has put out, and I think it is a logical one, it's not legal on the federal level. Why are you asking me to make something legal on a state level when the feds say it's not? How does that even work? Then, of course, you take a look at places like Denver, Colorado. You take a look at what's happening in New York and Chicago, where every street you're on in a downtown smells like weed, and you ask yourself, wait, is this what we're buying into? Is this what we want? There is a rally taking place at the Capitol today, Growing Indiana Together. It's uh, today from 11 to 3, the Midwest Hemp Council and Americans for Prosperity. Full disclosure, I do work with Americans for Prosperity. I have a financial relationship with Americans for Prosperity. I just, oh, I will never lie to you. I always let you know. But I have no connection to the legislation that is currently out there. This is House Bill 1039 to discuss medical and adult use cannabis. Representative Jake Teshka joins us right now from the 7th District. That is T-E-S-H-K-A. I was mispronouncing your name earlier, and I apologize, uh, Representative. It's good to be with you. Now, you and I speaking before this rally happened, this rally happened earlier today, but I, I wanted to talk to you about what it is you were expecting from this this rally happening at the Capitol and really talk about this legislation for the state of Indiana. Talk to me about House Bill 1039 and maybe from a, a larger overview, why legalize marijuana in Indiana? Hey, Tony, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on to talk about this issue that's 
important to Hoosiers this morning. Uh, House Bill 1039 is actually a very comprehensive bill dealing with this subject. It's uh, got some very minute details in terms of the regulatory structure that we want to set up here in Indiana. And, of course, uh, like most things we do in Indiana, we want to do it better than anybody else. And so, you know, we're proposing the lowest tax structure in the in the country because for us it's not, you know, about uh, revenue. We've, we've got a state that's flush with cash right now. It's about moving uh, this market that we know is here from the illicit underground market onto the uh, regulated and safe market here in the Hoosier state. And uh, the bill actually does not pull the trigger on legalization uh, at this point. The bill actually says uh, when the federal government deschedules or reschedules marijuana, the cannabis, we will uh, then take a look at it. But what it does is it gives us a, a leg up by getting all of this regulatory structure set up uh, ahead of time. We know the Biden administration has uh, called for the uh, a look at this to see if we can uh, reschedule or deschedule. And we want to be prepared for that. We want to make sure that Hoosiers get a first crack at setting up businesses uh, rather than multi-state operators coming in to swoop up the market. So when you're when you look at this legislation, when people look at it, this isn't about this gets passed and the next thing you know, everybody's selling weed on a street corner. This is about getting set up for when the federal government does X, we can do Y. Is there the anticipation that you're going to be waiting a very long time? And how do you speak to those advocates of marijuana being legal that, wait, Kentucky can do this, but we can't. Kentucky can do it. Well, I, I would like to point out that Kentucky did it by executive order, and I'm never a fan of, of doing things by executive order. I think this is something that the people's representatives need to hear and uh, discuss and really get into the meat of this policy issue. Uh, and so uh, that's what I would say in regard to what Kentucky did. Uh, however, you know, I, I think we got to be realistic about where we're at in the state. And uh, as you stated in the intro, Governor Holcomb has said that uh, you know he won't sign a bill uh, that fully legalizes and until the uh, federal government uh, changes their mind on the issue. Now, I don't think we'll be waiting very long. And, and in fact, uh, you know, Tony, I'm very surprised that we're, uh, we're even in this position now. The Democrats had control of, uh, of uh, the White House and, and uh, the House of Representatives and the Senate for two years. And, and I'm just, quite frankly, shocked that they didn't do this. And, and they left an opening for, uh, for Republicans like me to come in and say, this is a policy that, that we should be championing. And, uh, and that's what I'm doing talking to Representative Jake Teshka of the 7th District, talking about his legislation that he's got out there. This is House Bill 1039. I asked how it's not House Bill 420. Honestly, uh, sir, it, 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 it boggles the, the, the mind. Uh, and I appreciate you being with us. Um, you talk about it being executive order in Kentucky, and, and, and I think that is a, a solid point, but it doesn't explain Illinois, nor Michigan, nor Wisconsin, uh, nor, nor Ohio, where these things are legal. Um, talk to me about who you're hearing from about the desire for legalization here, and how do you counter the argument that you're talking about legalizing what is very obviously, in people's minds, a gateway drug? Yeah, so, so what I would say to that is um, a couple of points here that you made. On the, on the first part, uh, you know, uh, Michigan and Illinois, um, uh, both of those states uh, did this process. Of course, Illinois is uh, a little bit different politically than we are, 
Uh, Michigan just flipped their House and Senate. They did theirs by ballot measure. Of course, we don't have those here uh, in the state of Indiana. Uh, but what I think uh, is important to note, right, is there there's this Bowen study out of Ball State, this, um, uh, this survey that just recently came out, uh, showing that only 15% of Hoosiers are okay with the status quo of prohibition in the state. So 56% in that survey said uh, they were in favor of full adult use uh, legalization of cannabis, and another 26% said that they would be in favor of uh, legalization for medical use. And so we've got 85% of Hoosiers agreeing on an issue, and that's something that in today's divisive political culture is is unheard of. And uh, and so uh, one of the things I would say is why this hasn't happened yet is you know, it's one thing to answer a question on a survey. It's a it's a totally another thing to make a phone call to your legislator and push for this policy. And until it's something that really affects you, right? Until you've got uh, your your uh, young child sitting, you know, in a jail cell for for simple possession, or until uh, like my constituent who wrote in just before uh, Christmas uh, said, "Hey, I've got stage four pan- uh, pancreatic cancer. I've tried all of these drugs, forty rounds of." radiation and they've got me on all of these things i've had surgery and he said to me uh, i would eat cow dung if it would help me live longer he said i know it's a long shot but my life is all i have to lose and uh, it's it's for folks like that that i'm i'm pushing for this policy in terms of it being a gateway drug i think that we're seeing more and more you know as um, uh, more data comes out from some of these states that have regulated their markets in fact a, a recent uh, study showed that uh, states that have regulated market have a, a, uh, a, an increased age of first cannabis use. In, in other words, uh, kids aren't using it as much. And just think about it, Tony. When you were younger, what was easier for you to get a, a bottle of booze or, or, uh, or a joint, right? And I think a lot of times it's, it's, the, it's the illegal substance that's easier for you to get because it's not a regulated substance, right? And so it's, uh, it's tougher for, for minors to get that. And we're seeing more and more data come out uh, that shows uh, that regulated markets um, not only do not have an increased uh, use among youth in, in terms of a gateway or whatever you might call it, uh, in fact, it has the opposite effect. Uh, I can uh, attest to the fact that it would have been easier for me to find a joint than a bottle not of beer. Not that you were looking. When, 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 I, when I was a kid talking to Representative Jake Teshka of the 7th District, uh, State Representative Jake Teshka, talking about the legalization of marijuana. You brought up the Democrats who last uh, session, they, they made a giant deal uh, about this as if they were leading the charge. And certainly we know that uh, Representative Jim Lucas uh, has been talking about this subject uh, for for a while, and it seems that the the strategy of the Indiana Democrats was attack Republicans for not being more on board with this, as opposed to finding people that you could work with. Do you have Democrats you're working with on this subject? Will we see Democrats at this big rally that's taking place at the State House at eleven o'clock today? Your cannabis rally. You will absolutely see Democrats there. We've got a Democrat co-author on the bill, and, and uh, we're having a conversation with uh, the folks, uh, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. We're having ongoing conversations with them to get them on board with this bill, to see what you know what their thoughts are on the regulatory structure and how to move forward uh, and lock arm in arm on this issue where, look, if there's an issue we can agree on, let's agree on it. Let's move the ball forward. The the the, the rally uh, that takes place today. It's eleven o'clock. 
this takes place. Uh, it is a group of people growing Indiana together, the Midwest Hemp Council, Americans for Prosperity. And as I said, I do work with, with AFP. I am financially compensated by, by AFP. Um, People think it's a weird thing for this group to be involved with. Uh, they may not know anything about the Midwest Hemp Council. Um, are, are these groups there to give you credibility, or are they? do they see a different value to the legalization? Yeah, I think each see a, a kind of a different value for, for this, right? So Americans for Prosperity comes at this from, from really the, the criminal justice perspective uh, in that, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, right, you might have, uh, how many untold thousands of Hoosiers uh, today being uh, busted for simple possession and they're, they're stuck with a record for the rest of their life and so on and so forth. And, and so that's really the angle that Americans for Prosperity comes at this and, and uh, the effect that that has on the overall uh, economy and an individual's uh, ability to better themselves uh, moving forward. And then there's others, right? So the Midwest Hemp Council, they, they come at it. Obviously, uh, they are a group of, of uh, business owners and farmers and folks that are well positioned to pivot if uh, the state were to move in this direction, right? They're already cultivating uh, hemp, which is, again, a, 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 a cousin of cannabis, right? We're, we're uh, already cultivating this plant, and so they're, they're ready to move, and so they've got an economic interest in this. Uh, and then you're, you're going to see folks. Uh, I've got a lot of folks that I've been talking with that are veterans, uh, suffering from PTSD that are really pushing for this, uh, some other folks from the medical side, uh, and so they're coming coming at this issue from that angle. So there's all sorts of Hoosiers interested in this issue for different reasons. And um, and at the, the end of the day, what, what my message is, uh, is that it's time for us to have a conversation. It's time for us to have a robust committee hearing where we hear from advocates on both sides, health experts, uh, scientists, law enforcement, all of all of those stakeholders, uh, and we have not done that yet in a committee setting uh, here in Indiana, and it's time we did. That was my conversation with Representative Jake Teshka of the 7th District of Indiana State Representative. I appreciate him taking the time. Uh, uh, look, I think this is going to be an argument. I think there are people, rational people, with rational discussions on multiple sides. So do I mind this rally? No, not at all. I, I, I support it. I support the idea of people saying, hey, this is what we believe, and here's what we think, and here's how we think it could work. I think it's interesting that it's about setting up the parameters for when the opportunity comes as opposed to trying to slam it through, right? It's a rather pragmatic conversation there. I just don't know if everybody's down. I really and truly don't. And so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see, very curious to see, how it all plays out. Much, much more to get to. Find everything. TonyCats.locals.com. TonyCats.locals.com. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. So with the new year came a lot of new changes, including a new president at Purdue. Mitch Daniels no longer presiding. What does that mean for the future? And how does that affect things with the vision at IUPUI? Tony Katz, so good to be with you. Gary Dick joins us from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter, at IIB. Gary Dick on the line. And uh, the first, let's talk the switchover. The Mitch Daniels era is over. Sum it up for us. And then what is this new era? What do they expect it to bring? 
Yeah, uh, you know, so and happy new year, first of all, Tony, uh, to you. And uh, uh, Meng Chang, the new president at Purdue, summed it up. He said, this transition is going from Harley-Davidson to Haagen-Dazs. That's how that's how he described it. Mitch, of course, a big uh, motorcycle enthusiast. Uh, Meng Chang uh, is uh, is an interesting guy. We had him on the show this week uh, this weekend. Actually, his first interview since taking over as Purdue president one week ago, uh, and he has a very definite um, thought in terms of his vision, in particular for IUPUI and Purdue's role uh, in Indianapolis. He headed up uh, the School of Engineering uh, at Purdue for several years. He uh, ascended to the presidency. Uh, he's, he's an immigrant, immigrated from uh, China through Hong Kong as a college student. He talked about the value of education and how that can be uh, be uplifting. But really interesting to me is his vision for Purdue in Indianapolis. He said that will not be a regional campus for Purdue. It's going to be a core part of our main West Lafayette campus. He sees it as an opportunity to train and to educate thousands uh, of students in in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and, and math, and help fuel the economy, in particular in central Indiana and throughout the state. And he also talked about Tony this vision for a 63-mile hard tech corridor that would be that would be stretching from downtown Indianapolis and produce presence uh, presence in downtown Indy through the Leap Innovation Park in Boone County, where Lilly is building two plants, all the way up to Discovery Park in West Lafayette, microelectronics, aviation, uh, a number of areas that Purdue's very strong in. So he has uh, he has quite a vision uh, for Purdue, and he's hit the ground running. You know, you talk about uh, this IUPUI campus being a part of Purdue. It's hard to get your head around that, because what we've seen from IUPUI is that this is a very IU campus, not a very Purdue campus. So what is what is the plan? How does that happen? And how does this idea of hard tech corridor is high tech or hard tech? All right. There's a question there. How does that get played out? Yeah, a great question, and and your 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 comment on on IUPUI as it has been constituted, I think, is an accurate run. It's been it's been really viewed as much more of an IU campus. I think the IU piece uh, in uh, in downtown Indianapolis is going to change and become more robust. They've talked about a technology corridor of some sort that they uh, certainly want to be a part of. Uh, but going forward, I think both universities recognize. The presence in Indianapolis, the connection to the business community, the urban uh, university, and, and all of the things that the, that, that can offer uh, to students through internships and a variety of, of things as a real opportunity. You know, Purdue talks about their enrollment uh, has been so strong on the West Lafayette campus. They view this as an opportunity to grow enrollment in a significant way uh, in downtown Indianapolis. And then this quote-unquote hard tech, what is hard tech? It's technology. It's, it's things you can touch and feel, the microelectronics, advanced manufacturing, aviation, uh, and aerospace technology, all those types of high-tech uh, industries, uh, if you will, uh, leveraging Indiana's ability to make things. You know, we're a maker state. And uh, the, the thought is, the thought process is that synergy coming together with IU and Purdue in Indianapolis with a greatly enhanced uh, presence in downtown Indy, connecting with the business community. I mentioned Lebanon and Boone County, this big uh, technology park, uh, innovation park that's coming to life. 
two Eli Lilly and company manufacturing plants there. Uh, the ag biosciences uh, is another area that, that's a real uh, focus of this quarter that would go on up to Purdue University and Discovery Park, uh, where there are a couple of big uh, microchip companies that have recently announced uh, several billion dollars of investment there. So it's a it's a it, it's a big picture uh, vision, but it's one that uh, that Meng Chiang and Purdue uh, thinks uh, can uh, can put Indiana on the map. Talking to Gary Dick of InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter, at IIB. Uh, we've got the governor with the state of the state. I believe that's taking place uh, tomorrow. Uh, we know the economic development is on the list. Education is on the list. But exactly to what extent are they on the list? What are you hearing from the governor's office? What can we expect to hear? Well, we'll hear more. I think uh, most people have, have suggested this is his most ambitious uh, legislative agenda, the, the, the most ambitious, ambitious he has put forward uh, in his time as governor, billion plus for K-12 education, um, uh, public health funding, uh, public safety. I know he wants to increase the starting wage for uh, state troopers. On the economic development side, last year the IEDC, Indiana Economic Development Corporation, said uh, they had about $22.2 billion in commitments. And these haven't happened yet, but, but commitments from companies to expand here. They want to double down. The governor wants to double down on this, this ready program that had $500 million, largely from the federal government and COVID-related funding, that uh, funding these projects all over the state of Indiana. And as we travel around the state, we hear from communities, they want more of this because it's money coming from the state that is leveraged as much as four to one with private sector investment in those communities to do projects ranging from, from trails and quality of life. In Terre Haute, for example, there's a parking garage associated with the convention center that could attract two new uh, hotels uh, there, projects all over the state. So there's going to be a real push to get another round, $500 million uh, in ready funding. And I should mention quickly on the economic development side, uh, Tony, there's this uh, there's a proposal for a deal closing fund and also another fund to help acquire land uh, around the state of Indiana for economic development. So uh, in, in a big way, I think doubling down on economic development uh, in this session. You make mention uh, over there at InsideIndianaBusiness.com that according to Realtor.com, uh, Fort Wayne, Lafayette, West Lafayette, South Bend, some of the hottest housing markets in the country. Does that uh, is is that part of our uh, sales technique, guys? Look, people are moving here because the jobs are here. You should bring more jobs here because people are moving here. It's you know it's the self fulfilling prophecy. Do we do we see that kind of movement? Well, we had Greg Cooper, realtor, on the show this weekend, and and he he talked about the fact that you know you look at the national headlines. California, I think, is off almost fifty percent uh, from a housing standpoint. Their their market is tanking. Not the case necessarily here in Indiana. In fact, he sees the Indiana housing market kind of balancing itself. There was you know very low uh, inventory, tough to get find uh, places. That's becoming uh, kind of coming more in line with uh, with the market here in Indiana. He expects that that the um, uh, mortgage rates uh, are going to perhaps uh, level off and you know, have gone up precipitously. He views you mentioned Fort Wayne, uh, West Lafayette, South Bend, Elkhart, three of the top twenty markets in the country. So there's an expectation that the housing market will be uh, will be okay this year. I should mention one other thing though: when you talk about housing and affordable housing, that is a big issue. 
around the state when it comes to economic development. I mentioned those ready grants. A lot of the ready grant money is going into building or helping to build housing developments work as what's so-called workforce housing some of these smaller communities in particular they they are trying to attract businesses but they don't have the housing for the workers uh, to live in so that's uh, that's another issue we're seeing around the state housing is an issue housing will always remain an issue gary dick i appreciate it gary dick from inside indiana business dot com growth across the state is what we need. It's it's how we build. It's how we grow. The stronger the state is, the stronger Indianapolis is. The stronger Indianapolis, the stronger the state. It, it it's it's got to build on each other. It's the only way Indiana has a chance. So when you hear housing is big in in West Lafayette or or South Bend, these are good things for all of us. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Exactly as the Colts scripted it. It was an absolutely terrible season. And you don't know if the loss against the Houston Texans was a gift or just proof that this team can't close. They're bad in all three phases of the game. But they're bad in the coaching and they're bad in the management. They're bad in the ownership. The Colts are just bad. Tony Katz, so good to be with you. JMV joins us right now from 93.5-1075, the fan. And as you watch that game last night, 32-31, the Colts lose to the Texans. Are you thankful or are you miserable? I'm miserable because this has been the most embarrassing season on record here with everything that's gone down. Think about this yesterday, Tony. This was a team that you're facing a team that wanted to really secure the number one overall selection. And I'm not suggesting Houston wasn't trying to win because clearly going for two, Lovey Smith trying to keep his job, which probably got him fired, the fact that he lost the one pick and went down to the two by winning that game. But that Colts could not beat a team that really didn't want to win. The Colts were trying to win yesterday. The Colts were trying to play. That's how bad that it is. And it has been the most embarrassing season beyond any other on record since the Colts got here. Make no mistake about that. What were the odds that Lovey Smith, the coach of the Texans, would be fired after one season before Chris Ballard got fired? I, I think the odds were going to be pretty good, Tony, that he was probably going to lose his job after one year. But because they're going to go, obviously, they're going to hope to get a quarterback somehow, some way. Now they're going to have to have try to pay for it uh, more than they were going to have to try to pay for it if they would secure the number one overall selection. But now I think that his, his time was probably going to be one and done here. And we'll see what happens either later on today or further down, because we've talked about this before. I have no idea how in the world that Jim Irsay can justify bringing Jeff Saturday back, bringing Chris Ballard back either both or one or the other, I don't know how you justify that to anybody, but ultimately all Jim Irsay needs to do, Tony, is justify it to one person, and he's the owner, and that's him. But after this particular season and what you know about the interim coach and what we have seen over six years with Chris Ballard running this team, I mean, is it more the personnel from what you watch? Is it more the execution or lack thereof with the head coach from what you see? It looks like it is everything. So I don't know how you sell either one returning as coach or general manager coming up 
in the upcoming year. But we'll see because there's only one guy that's going to make that decision, and he only has to justify that to himself. Talking to JMV, 93.5, The Fan. You're, of course, talking about Jim Irsay. Uh, What are you hearing about um, where Irsay's head is, what he thinks of this season, what he thinks is the way to correct it, and has anybody discussed with him that his emotion creates bad results? Uh, The last thing, probably not so much. The other stuff... Here's what I have been told, and we'll see how all this shakes out, that even with a a horrific, and I mean an absolutely horrific, interim coaching reign, because I think we're all kind of conditioned, Tony, to think that when you're an interim head coach, that you kind of jump in there and it's a big mess, a disaster like this. Well, oftentimes you lose games, but nothing is embarrassing and as disastrous as we have seen with this Colts team. Uh, But I think that there is a pretty good shot that he comes back as the coach. I do. I think that there is a better-than-average shot that he does. That may shock everybody, but that's my thought. And I think I mentioned this to you last week. Jim Irsay, back before the Minnesota game, taped something with ESPN, and he was asked about Chris Ballard, his general manager, and he said, you know, basically paraphrasing here, Tony, that Chris Ballard would be back next year. Now, from what I have been told, from what I have heard, that maybe that is not as on solid footing as what we heard from ESPN. We'll see with Chris Ballard. And if you go back to Ryan Grigson, whenever Ryan Grigson was let go, it wasn't on Black Monday like today. It wasn't anything that was immediate. It took about a month for them to decide that they need to go in a different direction. But to me, you just start new here. You start with a new head coach. You start with a new general manager. You hire them both in the same hiring cycle, if you will, and you move forward. I don't happen to think Chris Ballard is on as solid footing as maybe some people thought uh, two weeks ago. But again, ultimately, that comes down to Jim Irsay's decision. Are you making the argument that there's no place for Jeff Saturday in this organization? He took the, 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 the gig. I mean, he's like, hey, I need an offensive coordinator. And a lot of those coaches are like, yeah, not it. Not interested. I'm not mad at Parks Frazier. By any stretch, I think this was actually good for his career. He was willing to step up, willing to give it uh, the, the the shot. I don't know if he'll be good as time goes on, but at least he took the shot. That's the guy I want on my team. Um, so uh, is is there a place for Jeff Saturday in this organization? I think with Jim Irsay and the trust and confidence he has with Jeff, probably so. I just, with what we have seen, And, you know, a lot of people want to bring up the fact uh, this was going to happen anyway, and I've been among those people that have brought that up as far as this team. But it's been just, Tony, further down the path than just losing. It has been embarrassing football, and it has got, you know, really monumentally worse than it was when Frank Reich was here and Jeff Saturday took over. So I don't see how you do it. But, yeah, to answer your question, sure, with Jim Mercer and how he feels about Jeff, there is a spot somewhere in this organization. It may very well be a head coach. I think that that would be an egregious error, but, you know, stand in line and ask what's new with this thing right now. I mean, at some point, some point you're going to have to go a different direction with both. I just think it's time to go ahead and wipe the slate clean. You're going to go after a quarterback, trying to put together a package to see if you can get up and get one of those two elite level draftable quarterbacks and go from there. And to me, you've got to start new with both the coach and the general manager. 
if you fall for anything less, then I think this vicious cycle we've been a part of here is going to continue to roll. So forward. while I've got 60 seconds, yep. yes, we've got the fourth pick in the draft. Uh, it's going to be a quarterback. The future of Ellinger, Foles, and Ryan. Uh, see, Ellinger, Ellinger's here, Foles, and Ryan absolutely out of here. I think Ellinger stays because um, they do like Ellinger. I think he stays. And then, to me, if, going right now, without a combine, Tony, with, you know, out of pro day or any of that stuff, it's going to be C.J. Stroud. I think C.J. Stroud showed me enough in that semifinal game for Ohio State against a really good Georgia defense, an athletic Georgia team. He showed me enough that he is your pick. But you're probably – you may have to. We'll see how this goes down. But you may have to maneuver to try to get up there, which means trading and – seeing what you can do in case somebody wants to draft one of those elite level two quarterbacks in front of you here. But C.J. Stroud is the guy that I would be looking at more so than anybody else. We will find out what the Colts do soon enough. It better be soon enough. My thanks to JMV. I'll catch you tomorrow, everyone. Take care.